It's the early 1990s. You're looking for something to, to really sink your teeth into. And you come across a game that you have never played before. Not sure why you even have a copy of it. But it's there anyway. And you start it. And you can't figure out what the heck to do. But wouldn't you know it if it's not one of the greatest games of all time? We are talking about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. everybody and welcome back to your new favorite podcast the more you nerd my name is drew and we are here to talk about the games that made us which is going to be a very fun thing i think for the next few weeks as we talk about the games that help shape helped shape our young lives yes these are going to be games that you that most of you guys have heard about probably most of them are going to be games that you have played and we're going to talk about a little bit of history of these games but i think we're going to focus mostly on our personal connections with them uh as much as we can but i cannot do it alone i need uh i need a sword to my shield i need the b button to my a button miles how are you friend i could not be more more stoked to go on this journey with you we talk a lot about you know you know how we feel about certain things week to week and and appraising things but we don't we don't get a chance to really uh, i think chit chat like personally chit chat and i mean we do off air but i've always thought that some of the best stuff that came from this podcast is when we were just like actually just talking to one another instead of just like reviewing something and i'm really excited to do this because um i mean drew is someone who i mean clearly I've been friends with for a very, very long time, but it's I I've always find it's so much fun to talk to someone about the things that they are most passionate about. And I, one of the reasons that we wanted to do this is not only talk about games that really stand out to us. It doesn't I mean, yes, you know, certain games we talk about this month, possibly all of them are tend to be considered some of the greatest games of all time. So if you're looking for like maybe some sort of insight um, or hidden knowledge, you're not going to get that here. What you're going to get is what these games made you us feel, because one of my favorite MOs from one of my old favorite gaming magazines was anyone can tell you the bullet points on the back of a box. We'll tell you how it made us feel. And that's my my favorite way to approach talking about games like this and especially talking about titles that are monumentally important to us. And this is when when I brought this up to Drew, he's like, just, you know, guess what my my first game is going to be. And I didn't even hesitate. <laughs> didn't I knew a second did not take you. A it second. was going to be Link's Awakening because of one thing I know about Drew is he he absolutely loves this game and it's an interesting game in the franchise's history. It's an interesting game in the Game Boy handheld's history. It's honestly, I would call it the perfect storm because it's it's a game I don't think anyone really expected to be as important as it was. And so, Drew, I want you to take us back to the early 90s and tell us a little bit about 
your initial experience with this game like why did you get it so and so what the, what connected with you so and i and oddly i uh started texting my mom about this uh because she doesn't know the 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 part she played in all of this and i i, I guess it's probably obvious that i was you know eight years old so i'm not going to be going out and buying a game boy on my own or whatever but I, so so to to back it up so the, the nintendo game boy of one of which i have literally in my hands right now listen <laughs> to those buttons uh i'm gonna open the battery lid and then click it back closed i love this thing so much it feels better in my hands now than it used to i think because i have grown up hands but um, right it's not as heavy as it was when you were a kid it felt like you had a brick <laughs> yeah i also don't have any batteries in this one uh so <laughs> probably add a little bit more to the weight just assuming uh so i i'll be honest i do not remember asking for a game boy for my birthday i sure i'm i'm sure i must have i i don't remember being into it i was not a gamer i think the the only game thing that i had had before that was a tiger electronics batman game whose noises are still indelibly marked on my brain oh god yeah it's and not in a good way yeah but like they put they restarted re-putting those out for like nostalgic purposes and i have zero nostalgia for those things not a single them them hated them now yeah uh so uh, so my parents got me a Game Boy for my birthday and I was ecstatic. I don't know when I got it. The Game Boy came out in 89. I don't think I got it back then. I think I probably got it in 1992 uh, would be around when I think I got it, which means I would have been about seven, uh, seven or eight. I can't remember the was I six, eight. Yeah, I can't do math. I can't do math. Um, so. But as, as and and of course that game came with the, the Game Boy at the time came with a game called Tetris, the fantastic game. I don't think we can do an hour long podcast on Tetris. Uh, apologies <laughs> to Tetris. Someone else has done that. One of the best one of the best puzzle games ever made. But there's not a whole lot to for there, us to really talk about. There, that I'm is, sure there are people can. Tetris is as close to a perfect game as one can get. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like chess and that they haven't updated the rule of Tetris in 200 years. Um, obviously, that's a joke because Tetris is only from the 80s anyway. Uh, and w- I love Tetris and I loved Super Mario Land and I loved Alleyway and all these games that I pulled out of a bag that I showed Miles before we started <laughs> podcasting. tonight. <laughs> uh, and and I, I loved these games and what I did not factor into the thing is that my mom would get way into Tetris. She loved Tetris too. And so we we tried to time out when this happened, but at a certain point, she decides to get her own Game Boy so that she can play Tetris while I'm playing something else. And when she does that, that Game Boy came with a different pack-in game, a little game called The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Now, I believe that I was aware in some capacity of Zelda at the time because of the Zelda cartoon that aired alongside the Super Mario Brothers cartoons that were still in pretty heavy morning syndication before I went to school. So I knew little things like there's a guy with a sword and there's bad guys and you do stuff like that. 
Well, I was interested. And so I popped that game into that system and it opens up and there's this fun little a little uh, story about this this kid on a, a raft and then he gets that's a pretty uh, accurate uh, description of the music that plays in that scene. Uh, and and you wake up and you're taken to this to this house and you're talking to these people, Marin and Taryn. And they're, you know, nice people. And they're like, hey, go find your sword. Maybe it's at the beach. And so I try to leave the try to leave the the the, the room, the, their little house. And they won't let me leave. He, Taryn keeps saying something. And they won't let me leave. And Taryn keeps saying something. And they won't let me leave. And Taryn keeps saying something. And I'm like, whatever. And I turned the game off and I didn't play it for months. <laughs> which, which, I mean, honestly, that, that is a great... I mean, when you're seven or eight, you you're not going to be as focused on you want to play the game. Yes. You and- don't care so much about the dialogue, like especially if it's not going to be something in a in what we would now consider a cutscene, but usually like the the opening, you know, almost like comic book style uh, delivery that like Mega Man would do. So I, I get that. In fact, that was kind of my initial reaction to uh, RPGs in general as well. I just didn't I, I hadn't developed the capacity for that game, yet, that kind of game style yet. Right. And, and that was that is something that as I think about those moments when I would try to play that game and I literally couldn't figure out how to leave the house. Spoiler alert. You just go back and talk to Taryn and he gives you a shield and then you can leave the house like it, the games at this time. And you got to understand this is this is. I am very young. Games are still pretty new. So when it comes to when it comes to to little things like learning how to play a game, that is what this game did for me. I learned how to, quote, solve puzzles. Yes, that was a very easy puzzle of just going back and talking to the guy who keeps talking to you as you try to leave the room. And once I got out of the room and I had the shield, the whole game opened up for me for the very first time. You're going down to the beach and you're finding the sword and you're learning about this and you're learning about that. And and you're going into dungeons and you're and, and all the while this this pretty at the time, I didn't realize how compelling the story was when I played it that first time and played it uh, over and over again. Um, it's it's sort of one of those things where the the I don't think the true gravity of it hit me until years later uh, when it comes to 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 the story of that game. But but yeah, that that is again, and this is you guys that have listened to this podcast for a long time know I love zelda games zelda is my favorite franchise in video gaming history and this is my first taste of it where i can't figure out how to leave the house on koholint island to go find my sword because i refuse to go back and talk to the guy that it will just give me the thing that i need uh, and it's just so funny to, to 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 go back and think about that moment uh in my life um, and, and so the other side of that coin when it comes to, to sort of my personal history with this game is that it it was a portable game and I would have to sit in the back of the car to go on long car trips, sometimes two hours, sometimes four and a half hours. And you know what had a pretty good battery life back in the day? The Nintendo Game Boy. As long as there was light out in the sky, 
I could see that thing and I would play Link's Awakening on every long car trip for years and years and years. And I got to know that game extremely well, sometimes through repetition, sometimes through figuring stuff out that I hadn't done before, because there was a lot in this game that it didn't tell you you could do. Uh, and I I just I I had I have so much love for this game before realizing and learning and reading articles about this uh, that 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 I did over the years to to that were basically talking about how important this game was to Zelda as a franchise, because this game without this game. Plenty of the rest of the Legend of Zelda uh, series would be completely different. Uh, this is a turning point for the whole thing, and it's something that does not get highlighted enough. It, it is a game. I, I mean, it's, it is. I would say it's certainly been not even reappraised, but but I, I feel like the importance and the fondness for this game has been touched on, maybe not as brightly as as other uh, entries in this franchise and other games from this era but i think it was further highlighted when when the switch remake happened sure i mean you had the dx version that came out and you had the you know the color version um but i will say that you hit on something that i don't think it's highlighted enough for and i I, and this is where I, i completely agree with you i don't think that this game often gets the credit widely that it deserves when you called it a portable game because most game boy games are mostly known for being either uh cash-ins on other franchises that don't quite work as well on the format and or you know things that took a while to to get to um you do have stuff like the the saga games or, or final fantasy legends but there is something very very unique about Link's awakening this this game, and I highly recommend that you take 15 minutes out of your day and watch the Gaming Historian's video on Link's Awakening because uh, he does great work and it's a fantastic video and it really highlights what a miracle this game is. But this game was made by people that understood the assignment. They made a Zelda game for the Game Boy. They didn't try to to cram anything else. They understood the hardware they were working with and made something meticulously detailed, the likes of which I don't think had ever been seen on the platform. And and let's talk about this because the the Link's Awakening's uh, uh, story is really, really interesting. So in the uh, 92, I believe, is when A Link to the Past came out, the greatest game of all time. that said so it's known that's a known thing uh but it's certainly considered among them <laughs> yes at the top I of mean, the it list absolutely is. it absolutely is <laughs> but uh so so you have uh uh yoshiaki Ko- koizumi who is basically well no he's, he's the the one in charge of the story uh you have a number of people that are basically tasked with hey here's a game boy development kit go make a game Uh, make a zelda game for it and so you basically have all of these groups uh takashi tezuka who is the the director of of the game uh they 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 get together with all of these 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 people and they basically after the workday is over they just get together 
and they start making a Zelda game for the Game Boy. And they're doing it on their own time. They're doing it after hours. It's like they call it a, an after school club as they're, they're putting this game together. <laughs> right. But because of the, the just quite frankly, off the rails design, uh, off the rails way that they designed this game or, or pathway they did it, they didn't really have any oversight in the game that they were making. So what started as an actual port of A Link to the Past to the Game Boy became this completely different thing. And I'm I, I'm going to try to hit some of the main differences right now in in, in a way that that is not going to sound rambling, because uh, I promise you I can ramble talking about Zelda games. It's happened in the past. It will happen in the future. Hopefully it won't happen too much right now. So. In the 90s, in the early 90s in Japan, in 92, 93, when they're doing this, there was a very popular show on Japanese television. In fact, it was very popular everywhere, uh, or at least in the U.S. and, you know, U.S., Canada, uh, as well as in Japan. It's a little show called Twin Peaks. You familiar with this mm-hmm. show, Miles? <laughs> yeah, we did an entire uh, an entire month on it. Yeah. A month and a half on it. and. Yeah. This is one of the things before I played the game that I'd always heard about Link's Awakening is that it was inspired by Twin Peaks. And when you hear that, you are expecting something maybe a little bit different. You're expecting something more along the lines of maybe a Silent Hill game. And he really meant like just a weird town filled with weird people and weird just mystery. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily that was inspired by... The other as the lynching aspects of Twin Peaks, although there's a lynching aspect to this game that for sure. doesn't get talked about enough. For sure. Um, I mean, basically, this game just all takes place in the Black Lounge. Um, <laughs> but uh, or Black Lodge Lodge. Yes. But so so when we talk about so so this is the biggest thing. And and again, at this point, we have had Legend of Zelda, Zelda to the Adventure of Link and the greatest game of all time, Legend of Zelda Link the Past. But if you play Link to the Past and you go to Kakariko Village, name me one one person that lives in Kakariko Village, Miles, in Link to the Past. No. Can you do it? You can't. You can probably <laughs> tell me a little bit like uh, 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 Sahasrala's, I've never been able to pronounce that right, wife is there. And there's the kid in the bed that's sick that gives you the bug catching net. But other than that, it's not really that intriguing. There's not well, a lot going on. There's not a lot of focus on other characters. And this is this often been a criticism of the Zelda franchise is you have Ganondorf, Zelda, and Link. Now you have, you know, other characters introduced throughout the series but by and large those are the three things that go through most of these games and one of my favorite aspects of link's awakening is none of that's present here and and that's the thing so so in this game this game does not take place in hyrule it takes place on koholent island the princess zelda is mentioned by name a couple of times but she is not in the game the Triforce is not in the game. 
Ganon is not in the game. But you take all those things away and you are are given you are placed in a town that has actual characters with personalities. And I know that seems so strange and and you have seen this in later games for sure. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But this is where that kind of stuff starts in in in. I've always called it Mabe Village, M-A-B-E. It's probably Mabe Village. But I've always called it Mabe, so I'm going to just keep calling it that. Apologies. You've got Marin and Taryn, uh, the the father and daughter that find you on the beach. Uh, canonical first appearance for those two characters who show up all over future iterations of, of Zelda games. You've got uh, Madame Meow Meow, who is the who has a giant <laughs> Bow Wow statue, uh, which is like the big chain chomps from the Legend of Zelda games or excuse me, the Mario games. Excuse me. Uh, but yeah, that's another thing this game does. Uh, there's a lot of references to other Nintendo characters and properties. Uh, the reason for that is because they assumed when they were making the game that they didn't need to ask for permission to use them. So they just used them, which is a fantastic, fantastic uh, little piece of that. Everything uh, about the making of this game just sounds so pure. And it's yes, I think what makes this game stand out. And uh, and when I played it. What charmed me, and and this game is charming to the, I mean, and look, yes, if you want to be a purist, you can play the Game Boy or or, uh, DX version of this game, and you will have an amazing time. But the Switch remake is also truly excellent. Yes, yes, it is. And what, I mean, it is very, very similar to playing a storybook fairy tale. In all of the best ways. So, so and I'm, well, go ahead. I'll, 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 I'll just say what, what, what makes me so happy about this game is, and, and, and because I think that this franchise shines when it bucks its own traditions a little bit and tries something new. Which this game is all about trying new things. So the, the, you, you, in, in prior Zelda games, you have, you know, even on the Nintendo NES, two buttons, much like the Game Boy, your your one button was always the sword and the other button was whatever item you had. This mixes that up a little bit and gives you uh, the ability to swap between two items. So you cannot have a sword equipped for a period of time if you desire to do so. And there and, and there are certain times when you absolutely need to not have a sword equipped because mm-hmm. you have to combine things. And this is something that, once again, they don't tell you in the game. So you, you, early on, you get the Pegasus boots, which lets you which is a, a long time 2D Zelda item, which lets you run really fast. You also get something called the Rock's Feather, which is which is the first uh, first item you get in a dungeon, which allows you to jump. Well, wouldn't you know it? Sometimes there are things that you can't jump over because you just can't get that far. Well, you have to time it to where you're using the Pegasus boots and the Rock's Feather. So you run and then jump at the last moment and it'll fling you forward three or four spaces instead of one or two spaces. And it's learning that or seeing that there is a cracked wall that you that normally you'd be able to hit a bomb against, but there's a pit in front of it. So there's no way you could hit, hit the bomb. Oh, but if you equip the bow and arrow 
and the bomb and you press them both at the same time, it shoots an, a bomb arrow that will do things. These were magical to discover in the game. And this is the first time that stuff like this had ever been done. In a Zelda game. Not yeah, even I mean, in the greatest game of all time. There are so many things that this game does outside of just being charming. I think the puzzles are engaging. They're they're sometimes a little stumpy your first time through, but they're never. The game never wants. I don't know. It's not that the game is just a breeze. It's not the most difficult game ever, but there are moments that are challenging, but there is something about the game. There's a pace to this game that even when it's challenging, it's inviting to the player. And and I'm going to tell you one in particular. So you go to the, the second dungeon bottle grotto and bottle grotto is uh, to even get to bottle grotto is a fun little side quest that involves bow. Wow. uh, The, the chain shop owned by Madame meow meow. Uh, and you, you have to, to you have to go on a side quest to the King Moblin and beat him to rescue Bow Wow. And then as you're walking around with Bow Wow, Bow Wow just will randomly just jump and chomp enemies that you're around. It's super fun. I wish you could just have Bow Wow anytime you wanted him. You can't. It's only in this one part. Uh, but but Bow Wow can eat these things that are surrounding the Bottle Grotto entrance so that you can go in and and get the you can go in and, and defeat it. But the boss of bottle grotto is a genie in a bottle. And it's important to know that you, when in bottle grotto, the item you get, cause you always get a single like new weapon or item in it. The, the item you get is the power bracelet that allows you to pick up heavy objects. Oh. Mm, excuse me. When you hit the genie, he disappears into his bottle. And he taunts you. And this is another one of those moments that I just hadn't put. I was young enough that I couldn't quite put two and two together with this. And it was that realization that, oh, wait, I've been picking up pots and rocks ever since I got this thing, ever since I got this power bracelet. I'm going to hit this genie. I'm going to pick up his bottle and throw the bottle against the wall. And if you do that enough times, the bottle shatters and you can attack the genie because uh, he can no longer re- retreat into his bottle. And that's how you beat that dungeon. And it's just that. And it's taking that lesson and going into all of the other dungeons and learning what you what you can do and, and, the, and the things that you get in those and how they they uh, uh how they how they matter and how they teach you the 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 process to to beat the game it it, this is the game that taught me how to play games i think is what i'm saying this is the game that's what i was going to ask you is what is that that you took away from this game that not only informed you as a video game player but informed the kind of games i feel like that you seem to seek I mean, it's because you let games, I mean, from, from knowing from the, the some of your favorite games that I per, that person know that you like, you like a certain type of game. You like a certain type of game that also has a fairly involved lore behind it, whether it's told to you or not. And you also like a game that. Challenges you, but also 
doesn't hold your hand. And I can think of at least three games um, from the 90s that I know that you personally consider some of your favorite games of all time. One or two we might talk about this month. The, all, all fit those those prerequisites. Yeah, and, and this is a game that that you know and this is a, a typical zelda zelda storytelling mechanism this is not new to this game but you go into a dungeon you get an item and now that you have that item you can access more of the map that you couldn't before and so in 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 kind of a a, a metroidvania style way as mm-hmm. we talk about you're now oh now i can go back to this place that i couldn't do anything with in the forest and now i can do this and get a whole new path to something link to the past did this too that's not necessarily a, a a new thing here but the the way that this game tells its story and this is an important facet is that as we talked about the the villagers and 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 mabe village and animal village and just all of the other associated characters that you meet along the way that are so uh engaging in a way that you don't expect characters in a zelda game to necessarily be engaging like we all think of 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 stuff that happened in ocarina of time and wind waker and 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 later games as being like all the gorons with the where their noises and things <laughs> like that but that all started with you know Papal, the guy who in Mabe Village who's got like eight kids and he's and his wife's animation is literally just holding a crying baby the entire time. It's 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 just one of those things that 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 all of that kind of oddity in, in these characters and and, the, the, and they're not necessarily suspicious of you. Like there's a character in this game who is the character that helps you and gives you hints if you walk into a phone booth. Yes, there are phone booths on this island <laughs> and and talk to him. We'll give you a hint about what to do next. But if you go into his house, he won't talk to you. And then if you go back to the phone booth who say, yeah, sorry, I'm just really nervous around people. Please just talk to me on the phone. That's <laughs> that is a weird Twin Peaks logic thing that I didn't expect. <laughs> Also indicative of probably most of the people playing that game. But the other side of one of them. Yeah, but the other side of one of those things of that that I want to say is that in this game, unlike most other Zelda games, even today, the bosses talk to you. Most Zelda games have like a monster at the end of the dungeon that you defeat and move on. And you get a yeah. little text blurb about what happens, you know, after you fee- free the 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 maiden or whatever. These bosses are actively telling you what you are doing and why it's bad for them. And that all surrounds the story of this game that I. I guess we should spoil. I don't know. Like, it's a. <sighs> I don't I don't know, because I do feel enough people possibly haven't played this game and finding that ending, especially how they they animate it in the Switch remake. Is unlike any ending in the franchise, and I would I would almost say it's unlike any first party Nintendo title. Yes. And. I'll say this because this game even though previously I said this, this game does have accolades. It has been well-respected and just was, has recently been gifted a remake on the Switch. 
you are right We're in, in that it's not talked about enough, especially in consideration to the the greatest of the franchise. I feel like Ocarina, Link to the Past, and Breath of the Wild dominate that conversation. Uh, and and um, it's arguably rightfully so. However, I mean, this is a franchise that has a extremely strong pedigree in its main title. Um, outside of maybe one game, and even that one's not bad. Um, they're all fairly great. And so when you're amongst fairly great games, one title's always going to get kind of left behind. It's just it's just going to happen. And, and it's going to be the portable game because that's it's on portable. I mean, the, the, there is that. There have been plenty of portable titles that have been lost conceivably to, or at least that the attention has been lost and they are every bit as important as any console game. But the ending of this game is just, it's so wild. And I mean, I know that that, that hypes it up. And so if you actually get to it and how subtle it's, it's portrayed, you might walk away a little disappointed. But it's just, it is unlike any Zelda game. And what what is so obvious is that this was created by people who were one allowed to do whatever they want without constraints in thinking about the franchise because no one thought about that kind of stuff at the moment. It was like, oh yeah, heck, work on this game. But also people who were working creatively unfettered and clearly just having the absolute best time. And that translates. Yes. In in fact, most of the creative staff of this game comment on how this is their favorite not because it's necessarily the best game that they made but because it was the most fun and also in a way the most challenging because they were working with the game boy hardware which even when the game boy came out was not the craziest bestest all goodest hardware ever it was the the cheapest with the longest battery life which is what they were going for um There's one other thing that I want to mention that is one of the things that is maybe the less, the least stated about this game and its impact on, on Zelda games and, and gaming in general. So Miles, how many composers do games usually have? I mean, about one's often credited about one. Yeah. Uh, Link's Awakening, the Game Boy game, had three. (laughs) It uh, Link's Awakening features over 70, 70, 70 individual pieces of music in it. Uh, The uh, pieces written by uh, Metroid's uh, composer, Monaco Hamano, Earthbound's composer, uh, Kozue Ishikawa, and Kazumi Tsukata, who is also kind of known as K.K. Slider of the Animal Crossing uh, fame. Um, They all wrote music for this game. This some some of these individual pieces are only a few notes long. Some of them are fully, you know, I, I'm a, a, finger finger quotes orchestrated uh, uh, things. But this is the first Zelda game to put this much of a focus on music. Now, the Zelda theme has always been one of the most iconic themes in video games mm-hmm. still is. But if you look at even the greatest game of all time, when you go into a dungeon, it has one of two songs. 
It's either the light world dungeon theme or the dark world dungeon theme. In this game, there is music for every single dungeon. In the game, the whole point of this game is that you are collecting instruments from these dungeons. So each dungeon has its own feel, its own take on the song. There are you get an ocarina that you play. How wonder where the <laughs> wonder, you know, I mentioned <laughs> I mentioned earlier in this episode that uh, uh, Eiji Onuma, who was the lead of of Ocarina of Time, uh, did not did not participate in the production of this game, but played this game and has publicly stated that Ocarina of Time would have been a very different game had his entire team not played Link's Awakening first. Music, this is this is the first game that music is important in Zelda. It's not Ocarina of Time. It's this game. And that, knowing how important music is to Ocarina of Time, which literally has the ocarina in the name of it, or uh, uh, the the Flirtendurden or whatever it was uh, that I, that the German title that came out uh, on social like, media. It sounds like something that Rose and Island played on the Golden Girls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that 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 there is so much iconic music in this game, and so much of it has been beautifully updated for the Switch version. I just I love it, and I wish Nintendo would put these soundtracks out in an easy to to download fashion. <sighs> no, no kidding. I I have I have some. I actually have a, a vinyl record because it was a some company has been doing like cinematic orchestras for games. Uh, it was Zelda Cinematica, and like it was like a two year project. And like, <laughs> from from the time I, I, I backed it to like the time I got it, plus COVID, I think it was like three years before I actually got my record. But it, I mean. Most of the songs in this franchise and, and this game in particular are just they're stunning pieces of music separated from any game. They're just excellent pieces of music. And I, but but I do want to talk about one other thing, um, Drew, you, you said you mentioned earlier when you talked about the first time you played this game that you, you know, you set it down for months. What made you come back and what gave you the temperament to kind of, cause you talk about how, you know, all these characters have, have puzzles and stories and they talk to you. Like what, what, what happened from the first time you played it to months later, you, you pop this game and you figure out you can leave. What happens to little drew? Honestly, I wish I could tell you. The short answer is, I think I was just tired of the games that I had, and I knew that there was this game that came with my mom's Game Boy that I just, you know, whatever, and I just put it back in, and something about it that time it clicked that, oh, well, maybe I have to talk to this guy again, and that that was what started it. And once that opened up, there there are so many like things and and keep in mind this is in the days before the internet honestly i mean the internet existed in some form but i wouldn't have a computer that could access the internet for several years and i never had a strategy guide uh, for this game uh so this was literally all all me trying to figure it out and uh and 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 it was just between that and the the music and the figuring stuff out and just there was something charming about this game and i it's it's 
I mean, I, I would say I can't quite put my finger on it, except I'm not alone in this. It's it's just a lovingly well-made, uh, wonderful experience. And it's one of those things that as I think back upon it, the only honestly, the only complaint I have about this game is because the Game Boy only has two buttons. And it's 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 a weird inverse with the with the switch version that I also love the switch version and will play the switch version more than I will play the game boy version. But the amount of buttons that the switch has that you can assign items to makes it a little too easy (laughs) in a way that is, that is funny to say that that sentence out loud. Um, But I, I just, I love, I love it so much. I I just, well, and you, you talk, you, and you, you've told this story on the, on the show. You have told me personally, Many times over the years, you know, this you said that earlier at the top of this episode, this is a game that you would take on car rides until the light failed you. What made you keep coming back? I mean, I know we used to replay games much more than we do now um, because of, of mostly of availability and the replayability, uh, the replayability of some of these older games. But what what was it about that game after you beat it that made you come back every single time? What was it about a Link's Awakening oh. that would keep you company on road trips for years to come and resonated with you as as a player? Oh, Miles, that is such a good question that I wish I had had time to give some forethought to because I <laughs> no, but you, you, don't, you don't need to just I mean, your honest answer, like what? Especially as a kid, like, you, you know, it's 1990 something. This is not an episode of the Goldbergs. Um, and you are in a car ride. You reach for your Game Boy, you grab Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Why? It just. Like anything I say is going to sound silly in a, in a weird way. No, but it's, it, I, pro- I will not laugh at you. It's not going to sound silly. I promise. Because, because part of it is, is that the first time you go through it, you have such a sense of accomplishment in solving these puzzles and figuring out these stories and, 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 and other facets to this game all tied to specific musical cues in the game. Mm -hmm. For example, there was, there was a song in this game that only plays between leaving Marin and Taryn's house and going to pick up your sword on the beach. And then it never plays again. It only plays in that one moment. And and there there are. And and with that sense of accomplishment comes a sense of of of. Hominess, if that makes any sense, that Mm -hmm. even though I I will go and I will play like I like literally if I picked up the switch version at the start of this podcast, I'd be in the third dungeon by now. I know the game well, and it's not a super long game because it was made for the Game Boy, which was not a huge, uh, which is, I think it was eight megabytes was the maximum amount a cartridge could be. But isn't that wild? Yes, 100%. Like, like <laughs> these games, you know, not even a song in today's data standards. And it holds that much special data within it yeah and 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 so every time i would go back to it 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 became i don't know in a way that like when you go to a place because because part of this was going to to one of to to my my grandparents uh uh, for a long time had uh, a beach house and it would be going to this beach house 
And so it's this very familiar trip. And while I'm going on a very familiar trip in the real world, I'm also going on a very familiar trip in the digital world. And, and, and doing the two things together just feels, it just feels good. And, and, and I don't, I know I don't have to solve the puzzles again because I know what the puzzles are. So then it becomes, comes kind of a, I don't know, just, just a, a playing for the sake of playing this thing that you love. And this is yeah, the first, absolutely. and this is the first time I feel like I ever felt that when I would play other games, I would get, you know, I might finish it or like Super Mario Land on the Game Boy, another game that I played a lot of. That is a game that you start at level one, one and you go until you die. And and that is as fun as that game can be. It's kind of a chore because you have to, you know, get the timing and da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a Zelda- I've, 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 it's a weird Mario game. It's, it's a weird game. <laughs> yeah. But a Zelda game is not like that. A Zelda game is much more forgiving in that. And part of that's the battery backup that you, that unlike a lot of games, you know, like uh, a lot of, uh, you know, we talk about, we talk about battery backups for save files being a thing that was not always used in the NES days. It was even less used in the game boy days until a certain point. Um, obviously games like Pokemon had it because you couldn't not with something like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the concept of going on a trip and going on a trip like that's. Going on an adventure while you're going on your trip, I don't know, there's there's something kind of I don't know, I like that. I I, I, I think that. No, that, no, I, I think that's beautiful. I um I miss, you know, I guess I mean, well, Chris and I will go back to her her home state of Florida usually once a year um, with her family on vacation, I'm, I'm typically driving, but the, you know, she'll drive sometimes too. And, you know, I'll play a little bit, but you know, she'll want to know what I'm playing and, and you know, what's going on. We'll have a chat about it, but like, I'm not in the backseat zoned out. It's a very different experience being an adult. See, and, I'm, I'm lucky in that my wife gets car sick when I drive, which was certainly not intentional on my part. So I often get the opportunity to sit <laughs> in the front seat and have something to do. And, you know, I'll be honest, there were a number of trips where Link's Awakening got played. And and I I have to say, and this is just another side of things. The Link's Awakening Switch version came out at about the perfect opportunity for me as a father. and. Link's Awakening for the Nintendo Switch is one of the first games that my son ever beat by himself. And like, that's just that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. I, 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 I can't I like I, I love that. If, I, if we were still running our blog, that would have been a great dad uh, dad mode <laughs> piece. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things that I would not trade for the world to watch my son. And as I re- as I realized that this has been a couple of years ago that that game came out as I'm sitting there on the couch watching him try to play the game 
and getting frustrated because he can't figure out what to do and forcing myself not to tell him what hap- what to do and what happens and, you know, letting him, let, you know, telling him in a couple of spots. But watching him go through these things like the genie boss with the bottle and figuring out what to do with that and 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 throwing the bottle against the wall and and some of the other things that are in that game and 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 the biggest thing of all in that game is the trading sequence that is another thing that this that that you know the the creators call it the uh the straw millionaire folktale uh, which is apparently a japanese folktale but it's 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 a tr- the trading sequence where you start with an item and you have to trade it to sp- to specific people throughout the game world. Ocarina had one. Twilight Princess had one. I think I'm pretty sure Wind Waker had one that all started here. That all started with Link's Awakening. This is maybe the most important Zelda game that has ever existed when it comes to shaping the future of Zelda and everyone should play it. It is exceptional. It is you're going to play it. If you're a grown up listening to this, you're going to play the Switch version and you're going to think, why do people care about this game so much? But you have to look at it in the time, in the place. It is incredible. Ugh. <laughs> so I think one of the coolest things about Link's Awakening outside of the fact that it has it defies all the odds because by by trend a zelda game on the game boy should not have worked in the way it did and it should not have been as original i mean some of these game boy games were i mean you have characters in uh super mario land that you never see again you know you do have some original characters in these licensed or franchise versions but the, I, I w- the first I would... appearance of Wario was in Super Mario Land 2. Two. Yes. Well, and that one, that one, they put marketing behind that one. They really believe in the Wario thing and they they were right. Well, and, and Mario but, Land 2 was a way better game than Mario Land 1, but we're not talking about. Oh, that. it's it's a fantastic game. Um, I think that. I, I struggle to find an equivalent to Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. I don't think any first-party title comes close in in delivering a franchise-quality game to that specific handheld system. I mean, and this is not to besmirch stuff like the Saga games that were turned, you know, Final Fantasy Legends. This is not to say anything bad about plenty of great great titles that are on the game boy but i don't think that any franchise title has the absolute breadth of creativity and pure joy for the medium that link's awakening does and it does it within a zelda title that also breaks every convention that hadn't quite been established, but we're still are still parts of the franchise that we know. I mean, you don't have Ganon. You don't have, even have Zelda. You don't have the title character. Nope. You know, it is a wholly original on its own. And I wish that 
more AAA companies would put that kind of risk and faith in a creative team again and make some of these big franchises. And look, don't get me wrong. Some of the games that come out for these companies are amazing. I, I fully believe Breath of the Wild is one of the best Zelda games of all time, one of the best games of all time. Sure, and that but is one that broke a lot of Zelda rules, let's be real. It, it did, but it narratively follows the typical, I mean, does it better, I think, than it had ever been done before in, with the game and story. But what's so refreshing about Link's Awakening is that it doesn't just ignore the rule book. It, 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 it throws it away and it makes a creative choice with this established franchise in a way that you, you just don't see at all. And I mean, this game, this game deserves every bit of celebration that it gets because, you know, I, I, I'm with you. You know, when I played this on Switch when it came out, I was completely charmed and blown away and it's become one of my favorite Zelda titles. I think it's tremendous. And I think it defines what you can do with an all ages game, because this is not this is not set for like, oh, you know, you might want to wait until your X age to you can play this game at any age and have a, have a significant experience with it. There has only been one other and I love all Zelda games. Let me be 100 percent clear with that. I love all Zelda games, even the bad one. Uh, there has only been one game that has come close to capturing how I feel about Link's Awakening. And that's uh, 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 the 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 Link to the Past sequel. Um, oh, my God. Oh, Link Between Worlds. Link Between Worlds. Thank you. Um, with its fun interesting mechanic that i literally would throw my head against a puzzle and then realize that it had the oh i just need to use the mechanic of the game and i can just go over there and it was super easy why did i spend 10 minutes on this uh and and that is a game that i would i really want i want that game I want I want that game to come to Switch too. I, I don't know. How I they're want gonna do every it. Zelda game on the Switch. Oh, to be honest, one <laughs> hundo, bro. That I, is known. Um, it's gonna get hard. It, Maker. It, it's gonna be difficult to get the the DS games on there, but uh, no, I feel you could do it. I think you could, but uh, but yes, uh, Link's Awakening is it's a triumph, and it was made out of love. It was a side project that got that it was a side project that they did in their free time at first that became one of the best selling Game Boy games of all time until Pokemon came out <laughs> and uh, has incredible review scores. It's got like a 90 percent on Metacritic and stuff like that. It, it's just it's a phenomenal game. I mean, it's it's. This sounds backhanded because, but I don't mean it that way. It is better than any Game Boy Zelda game had any right to be. Yes. It, yes, it, is, it did. It is shocking that and, this game and, is the way it is. And if you look at the art in this game, and I'm just going to say this again, like look at the art in this game and look at what they did with the hardware they had. Like it looks like it's not linked to the past. 
It's it's not that. It's its own feel, and it's mm-hmm. a feel specifically created for the limitations that they had on the Game Boy that still feels unique and fun and good to play. And 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 I I just love and it. That's that's the big difference. Is a lot of times it just it felt like some people squished a game on there and that's it. This game was meticulously created for the console or the handheld that it was going to be released on. It had the Game Boy in mind and it, it every single screen feels like it. This game is epic in scope that you know, I wish I played it back then because it would have blown my mind. Like I mean, uh, I was playing like <laughs> Frame Roger Rabbit and stuff like that. So, um, so what what I will say is, I look at Link, I look at a Link's Awakening, and the kind of game it is, and I look at Super Mario Land, and then I look at Super Mario Land Two, and I see lessons learned. Mm-hmm. And this is something Absolutely. that I am saying I have done in like the past week, in in looking at at the you know realizations that I am having. This was a a a banner game, maybe maybe the best Game Boy game of all time. I know Pokemon people are going to get mad at me for saying that. Well, uh, I mean, you also have stiff competition from Tetris. Yeah, Tetris is Tetris. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the most perfect games ever made. <laughs> I mean, I said it at the beginning, Tetris is like, yeah perfect gameplay loop you get, they can't do better than tetris for that uh it's and they've it's, tried they've tried, they've to, tried they've tried to like sex up tetris and it's like no nah, you don't need to do that man you nah. just give me tetris tetris 2 is just tetris <laughs> <laughs> i mean you can give me theme tetris all day long that's fine i'm down with that but like it's just just give me tetris man <laughs> so with that said i but there's way more to talk about with Link's awakening we're not gonna we don't have the time to do it uh because because encyclopedias could be written on this uh so that is where we're going to end our conversation about the legend of zelda Link's awakening for the game boy you can go out and get if you want to there is a nintendo game and watch zelda edition that you can get for less than 50 dollars out there that has zelda 1 zelda 2 and Link's awakening on it in its 2d two button glory i I weirdly want to get one, but I know I'm not going to get one. Uh, but um, get <laughs> you can also, <laughs> of course, it. if you have a Nintendo Switch, you can get the the very, very great uh, Switch edition of of Link's Awakening, which is super, super, super ded- like dedicated. They they barely it made changes. It, it is like meticulous in the the way that it's crafted to feel like the original game um and i just i love it to pieces too uh but that is what we're done talking about now so miles let's talk about what game made us next week all right so i had a lot of difficulty choosing my first game uh partly because um game preservation is pretty bad out there y'all yeah so so miles and i talked about a couple of his choices before we started recording and i actually don't know what he's landed on i you know i I was leaning towards one thing at the beginning of this episode and after talking about it and getting super sentimental i have to go with what i was going to play last um but i do want to talk a little bit about what made this 
difficult is because there are a number of games that I would love to talk about that shaped who I am as a player, as someone who understands gaming literacy, as somebody who takes in this medium. Unfortunately, um, for the most part, a lot of the games that I want to play are not legally available, and some of them are too much of a pain to emulate onto a computer that I don't feel like doing it. Um, if I had a dedicated like retro machine, that'd be a different story, but I just, I'm not going to bend over backwards to play Silent Hill, even though I very much want to talk about Silent Hill, um, or Fiddle Frame 2, Crimson Butterfly, uh, which if it was still available on the Xbox store, that's what we would be playing for next week. Uh, or at least I would be playing again for next week. There's a Xbox, uh, backwards compatibility sale and I looked and I was like, Oh man. You know what? What what is with the what is with these sales and other things that are like, you know, perfect timing for for our. It's it's it is wild. Like the fact that we released the portal episode and then like literally that day, portal announced <laughs> for Switch. the week after it was the week the, after the yeah. Switch version comes out. I was so mad, um, <laughs> but. So I, I looked at what was available and I've talked about it because one of the most important eras for both Drew and I, uh, despite how much we formative gaming we had in the 16-bit era, is the 32-bit era, specifically the PlayStation era. I believe it's the one that we probably both have the most fondness for. And it is certainly where some of the most important games that I've ever played come from and there is a game that i have loved since before i even touched a controller to it like i saw a because there used to be like actual commercials for almost every game that came out <laughs> and oh, I Miles, seeing, what are you picking here what are you picking i remember seeing that trailer and i hadn't played the last instance of it at the time. I think I played a demo. So I wasn't as keen on the style of game. I played types of this game before, uh, as I touched on earlier, but nothing had quite stuck. I, I was a Sega kid, wasn't a Super Nintendo kid, so I didn't have the Chrono experience. I didn't have the Final Fantasy VI experience until I was an adult. Um, we had Fantasy Star, and that was fine. Um, <laughs> sorry, Fantasy Star fans. Um, <laughs> Like, they're good. I just don't get as invested in them. Um, but this is a game that I had asked for. I, I got it for, my, for, for the holiday, along with a strategy guide. And apparently a note that it was very, very hard to find at the time. And so next week, we are going to talk about a game that I have... Uh, for the longest time felt like an outsider for liking until I, I came to find out that this game is actually very well loved across the world. It's just growing up in certain parts of the States, you were made to feel like this game was a blunder that no one liked. So next week, we are going to talk about one of my personal favorite games of all time, Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, <laughs> you got me. You got me. <laughs> oh, man. I got myself. I did not expect to start off with this, but after talking with you um, 
about Link's Awakening and how much it meant to you, I was like, you know what? There's no there's no need for big reveals or nothing. I mean, even though I just kind of did that to you. Um, I just want to talk about one of my favorite games of all time and what it meant to me. So, you know, because certain games on the PlayStation are not readily available, um, there was recently a very nice remaster that was put out, but it's been available uh, on PC and the PSN on Vita for a long time. This is a, a fairly easy to obtain game for anyone that wants to play along with us. Um, the, the, the quote unquote remaster is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And the remaster is actually right now available on uh, the new PlayStation Plus uh, upgrade version. I'm not sure what oh, tier yes. it, it falls under, but um, I want to say it was on Game Pass for a period of time on the Xbox as well, though I don't. Uh, it, I think all of them, all of the available Final Fantasies were for a bit because I was going through 13 and I know 12 Zodiac Age was on there. Uh, I bought Final Fantasy VIII Remastered on the Switch the day it was released. I think I, I, also, I, I also did. I, I also did. Yeah. So I adore that game. And this is a this is a game that means a lot to me. And so it's also when people love to poke fun at uh, around me because this game had a weird reputation in the States growing up that like it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized, oh, wow, people across the world loved this game. This game was a big hit. I was always on the impression that this game was like a, a swing and a miss. Oh, no. So, it, it, the, 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 on, the only problem that this game has is that it wasn't seven. Um, but when it comes to covering this game, Miles, I think the only thing I can say is... Just don't do it. <laughs> You're just going to say can't wait to talk <laughs> about it. I cannot <laughs> wait to talk about it. Um, that was a visual joke for me and Miles that y'all will never know. <laughs> Uh, which is fine. Um, this is an audio podcast and uh, that's the way we're going to keep it for now. Uh, so we are going to talk about final fantasy eight next week here on the more you nerd. If you would like to reach out to us and talk to us about all the games that you love and want to talk about, uh, the, the games that made you, you can find us at uh, themoreyounerd.com, which which is, has this and every other episode. You can tweet to us at themoreyounerd, and you go to facebook.com slash themoreyounerd, and you can email us themoreyounerd at gmail.com. That's themoreyounerd at gmail.com. And now we end this show, as we always do, with a rousing nerd out. out.